Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. E-Road provides fleets with advanced capabilities for remote reefer control, real-time compartment mismatch detection, product-specific temperature alerts, and a host of compliance management applications. It's time to revisit how your refrigerated goods are monitored. Running on Ice, the coolest show on free. And this week, we have a bit of a fun episode planned. It is the Oktoberfest episode. And we could not do it without our friends over at Broom Movers. Welcome to the show, Brandon Arnold and Adrian Graham. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us again. Appreciate it. I am excited for this because, um, you know, it's something that I feel like might be a little near and dear to your heart. And that's Oktoberfest and no, it does not start in October, um, much like the name alludes to it. Uh, but one of the things that does happen is there's an insane amount of beer that has to be moved for Oktoberfest, considering we drink it by the leader. Um, so just kind of jumping in, why is um, why is kind of like the seasonal Oktoberfest and craft beer a little bit different than moving something traditional like a domestic Bud Light? That's a great question, right? And it's something that uh, we we get quite often. Uh, you know, it's nothing against the bigger brands um, because it's it's more of a volume play um, and bigger distribution and supply chain. Uh, I think if I had to summarize it, it really comes down to one word: it's freshness. So, from the ingredients to the shelf life of the beer um, that the craft breweries are producing, the shelf life is just much shorter. Uh, it's much more tolerant to heat. Uh, so that's why we have to use our pallet parker in situations to help keep the, the crispy boys rolling around. Um, but the freshest hops, this fresh hop season this time right now. Um, and so all of these beers are very volatile um, and all the ingredients are. So just being on top of that for these breweries and giving them realistic transit times with all the little shakeup in the LTL world and truckload and coming up with unique solutions to get those to them is is critical right now. So out of curiosity, does hops have to be moved? I don't know anything about like the ingredients for beer. Um, so do do they have to be transported in reefer containers or do they can they just come in dry van? So very interesting. Very interesting. So fresh hops actually is very uh, combustible, actually. So if you were to put uh, fresh hops in a sealed package in the back of an LTL truck, without ventilation, uh, you could have a roadside fire on your hands because of the moisture in there and the chemical reaction uh, could actually spontaneously combust. So that's fresh hops. Um, other hops, what they do with a majority of it is they actually take it, they, they mill it, uh, and they grind them up into the pellets, actually. And these pellets then they're able to grind those and, and put those into their, their into the drop. When they do that, uh, that's what gives you the hop aroma. But in transit, if the hops get too hot, they'll actually expand and explode. 
and you'll have these uh, cryogenic bags that'll literally just explode from these hot pellets expanding because of the heat. So yes, long, long answer, but hot pellets, fresh hops, very susceptible to heat. So you have to make sure you know what you're doing when you're moving these. Otherwise, the other nice thing about this, and it's very interesting, and we'll give a little bit of trade secret, that hops are actually, the cost per pound is way above carrier liability. So if you do have issues, you better know what you're doing because otherwise you could lose a $40,000 pilot of hops. This is giving me ultimate flashbacks to another episode where we learned that figs are one of the most expensive things to transport. Like an entire truck of figs is like a million dollars worth of insurance or some or like something really high like that. Um, so that's utterly terrifying and not you know, horrible to hear about at all. It reminds me of the, uh, like when hay gets wet and starts a fire. Um, cool. So hops, super flammable. Love that for all of us. Um, I guess when it comes to kind of some of these seasonal releases, like Oktoberfest and everything, like how you, mess- you mentioned freshness. Don't get me wrong. Your girl loves a good Bud Light. Growing up in St. Louis, having worked at Anheuser-Busch, you know, we we love a good Bud Light, Budweiser, no shame to them. But sometimes if you want something a little different, maybe a stronger hop flavor, um, when it comes to some of these more craft beers, how do you make sure that things stay crisp and fresh? Because a lot of you, like you mentioned, they have shorter, um, they have shorter life shelves, not life shelves, um, shelf life. <laughs> yeah, so really it, time and transit is critical. Um, ambient temperature on the route, uh, it, it has become part of our DNA when we're working with the craft brewers um, that many craft brewers, they don't pasteurize their beers. And so like a Bud Light or a Coors Light or whatever, they're always pasteurizing and they are also using more shelf-stable ingredients on the front end. And that's why, you know, a Bud Light can sit in 90 degree heat and then you put it on ice and it's crispy the next day and you could drink it. Whereas if you did that with an IPA or God forbid a fruited sour, uh, there's so much sugar content in those, uh, in specifically fruited sours that if they get to above a certain temperature, uh, the cans will actually start exploding in transit, um, which then just causes a mess in the back of the truck. Uh, and, uh, you have beer dripping all over. Then the distributor can't sell it because you have, uh, dented cans, exploded cans, you have busted trays. And so having the time in transit is, is pretty critical as well as the temp controlled. So a combination of reefer, um, LTL, reefer dedicated, uh, as well as the pallet parka help to protect against those uh, specifically, depending on it. There's no right answer because every situation is a little bit unique. Um, and you just need to understand the variables and come up with the best solution and cost effective for the customer. I feel like this episode should now just become the one where everything explodes. So what I'm... what. <laughs> What I'm learning about beer is just, it will explode. It's not a matter of if it will, just it will. It's just a matter of when. We've been doing this for almost eight years now. We've, we kind of started in the festival space. So I know Oktoberfest is one of the festivals, but of course there's many other festivals you hear about, craft beer festivals, different Christmas festivals, different things like that. So we got our start in festivals actually. Um, and so we've kind of come up with a solution and a way to reverse engineer these festivals so that you know, a lot of these breweries and and medium to small breweries aren't um, always planning. Um, they're kind of 
adding ingredients, adding new new variants at the last minute to get the beer, and I want the beer to be as fresh as possible. So our job is to kind of reverse engineer that, make sure the beer is fresh as soon as it comes out of the tanks into the kegs, it leaves their facility and gets to the festival um, in a timely manner. And like Adrian said, we like to use you know a shameless plug for our pallet park again, but we like to use that um, to ensure that it not only stays fresh in transit, but also there's no um, extra condensation or any issues with claims or damages in transit as well. Um, and the thing is, is we've seen before our time, and really the reason we got into the space is we were going to festivals um, and noticing that breweries were showing up to pour and their beer was. So that's a huge problem. When you fly across the country to a festival and you have nothing to pour and you're standing there with your hands in your pockets, that's not a good look. And that falls back on the transportation company. So we have, again, taken that and come up with a game plan um, that better suits breweries, small breweries, shipping to festivals. And we've, knock on wood, have had 100% um, on-time festival um, track record so far. So no one's been to a festival and not had beer to pour in our eight years in existence. So we just know the festival space really well. And Oktoberfest is very similar to any other festival um, we've done. So. so because so one of the things that I do love about craft brewery is that they're more willing to take a chance and, you know, do some collaborations. So if you have like, you know, brewery A over here and brewery B over here, and they want to work together, like kind of how does that even work? Like, because I obviously like, you know, they'll call you and say, hey, we need our beer picked up. Um, is it just kind of a, they do most of the coordination, then you guys do your thing, getting it from point A to point B? Or um, is there a lot of like in between that you guys have to handle for them as well? Or is that kind of more on them? Not actually having been in there during the collaboration itself, right? We get the front end and we get the back end a little bit. Actually, now that a lot of brewing beer becomes so automated with push buttons and these amazing brew houses that can actually operate from your you know, your living room couch. Um, they they end up to be a, a drinking fest more than anything and talking about things, right? So, but the collaborations that we've been a part of and that we've witnessed over the years, they really start with two great brands that are friends and they have two great different beers um, and they'll say, let's combine recipes. And then they start getting into the very technical aspects of brewing, um, they collaborate on the ingredients, they collaborate on the fruit, all different parts of that. And then it gets delivered to them that day. So they're asking us, can you bring this for us? Can you bring this into us? Um, have this ready for us, um, specialty malt, whatever it may be. Um, and then they brew. And then after that, the interesting thing is, is depending on the state that these breweries are from, uh, we're actually seeing a little bit of a change and a lot of these collaboration beers are only being served locally now. Um, it's a lot of, we're seeing a lot of change in the, in the craft beer space. Um, breweries that were distributing in 26 states are now only distributing down to three or four. Um, there's been a huge push for local beer. And so what's, what's end up happening is yeah, we'll pick on North Carolina. They're, they're picking one of their favorite friends and brewers um, that's very well known in New York or Colorado or, or California, having them come to, to North Carolina, do a collaboration with them there. And then they have this joint branded label and they're selling it in their tap room. They're doing four packs. But one of the nice things that we're actually helping with is now we have this capability of helping breweries ship direct to consumer via parcel. And so there's only about 14 states today that, uh, that allow direct to consumer. 
But now we have a conduit that can help them do that in a permitting process that can get them over the edge. So these now joint collabs can get spread around the country. And uh, if you're listening to this and you want direct-to-consumer beers, please tell your congressmen and women and state senators because it's all driven by states locally. um, And they are the gatekeeper to opening up direct-to-consumer through uh, state and local bills. So... Um, one of the tricky things, I think, um, and then I'll get into a more fun question, but the last somewhat serious question I have for you is um, when it comes down to kind of that inventory management, you touched on it a little bit um, and some of that forecasting things. Is it really just kind of a matter of working really closely with your suppliers or um, is it just a familiarity of being in the business for a really long time that you just kind of know when to start expecting certain things? A lot of it comes down to experience. Like I said, I mean, we, we've been doing this for almost eight years now. So we're really familiar. Um, I mean, we've been in and out of about 4,500 breweries now across the US, Canada, Mexico, and internationally. So we really understand almost and probably tried almost every type of beer there is to try. So we kind of understand the brewing process from start to finish. Um, we've been in lots of brew days. We've collabed with breweries. We've kind of seen from small to big how that process goes. So we're really able to kind of understand when they need things. And sometimes we're actually even telling them, hey guys, aren't you brewing this beer this month? And don't you need this? And then we're actually contacting them because we love all of our breweries, but they're not always um, super good at planning. (laughs) They're always calling us last minute. Hey, do you have this? We need this or that. Well, we can't get it there today, but maybe tomorrow. So, um, and then we do have some predictive technology, which I don't want to dive too deep into, but we do have some predictive technology um, that's proprietary that we utilize to kind of predict inventories and things like that. so we just try and stay ahead. We're kind of the, we like to think that we're the, the engine that thinks and they don't have to do too much thinking. We want them to concentrate on brewing good beer and we're the people that do the thinking um, and try and plan their supply chain for them. So a lot of it's that. Um, we do a lot of site visits. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time in the space. So I just think it's experience and some of our technology that kind of gives us the upper hand in predicting uh, what they need and when they need it. I uh, 100% having known a few brewers, they uh, the planning and the forethought not always there. So it's nice that you guys are just like, don't worry about it. We got it. Just just, just give us a call when you're thinking about a new beer and we'll just make everything magically appear at your facility. Because I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't love a partner that just thinks for you? It's been great. Uh, you know, over these last eight years, some of the, the original breweries that we are part of, you can see they've changed their buying habits now. And oh, we always ask, when do you need to buy? And they're like, don't worry. You taught me two weeks out. I'm good. Right. So it's no longer on some of the ones that we've been educating over the time about. And in, and honestly, sometimes we've had some issues, right? Where LTLs failed or something like truck broke down. That happens. It's shipping. Right. Um, but now they're like, I know enough now to plan far enough in and ahead and give you guys, you know, a lot of room to be successful rather than, uh, can you go from California to New York in three days? Oh, sure. <laughs> Let's be honest. We're not. Brewmovers isn't reinventing the wheel. We still move things on trucks, uh, LTL, truckload, rail, um, international air, all the, the same way that thousands of other brokers and, and trucking companies have access to. So we're not reinventing anything there. I think what kind of our value prop and what adds a lot of value to our customers is that we're in the space. We understand, like I said, the brewing process and how it all goes and we have experience. So it's not necessarily always about the race to the bottom, the cheapest, this or that. I think we really understand the space and our experience sets us apart and understanding that supply chain process. So. Um, that's just kind of how we operate and how we keep ahead of it with our customers. I believe the, I don't know if the youth still call it it, but I do. That's what we in the business call humble brag. Um, you just are 
good because you've done it for a while. And that experience, as we all know, is invaluable. But moving into more fun things, I would like to know your favorite Oktoberfest story. All right. So one of our first breweries that we've ever had, um, actually, it was, jeez, um, oh my God, seven years ago, whatever. But uh, Legion Brewing, uh, literally a couple blocks down the street. And uh, it was about this time two years ago. Uh, I had to, I just decided to walk out for lunch, walk down the street, and we're like, let's just grab something to eat real quick. They got great salads. And uh, walked up to the counter. I'm like, can I get a beer? And they're like, well, Phil and everyone else is downstairs when Phil's the founder of it. And they just released an Oktoberfest. And I'm like, and they're grilling up sausages down there. And I was like, excuse me, you had me at sausage. So literally, we walked downstairs, walked out, and it was the coolest and I think indicative of this industry. Um, they invited us in as if we were like one of the employees of them. Uh, and literally, they had their freshly tapped Oktoberfest beer on tap. They had sausages coming off the grill. Uh, they do these massive Bavarian pretzels that are just gigantic. And we sat there for what was supposed to be a 30-minute lunch turned into nearly two hours. And I think I recall texting Brandon and say, you may need to cover for the rest of the afternoon because uh, the beers are flowing right now and my decision-making skills aren't that great. So, and and I remember my wife actually had to go back to a meeting as well. Uh, and it was just impromptu, but I think, you know, Oktoberfest is about getting together and having these amazing little atmospheres or big atmospheres, right? Of super cool energy, people having fun, smiling, drinking, having a good time, you know, wearing crazy clothes. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's awesome. So that was that was my favorite one, to be honest with you. So well, what about you, Brandon? I can ask you a trivia question. I would love some trivia questions. What number Oktoberfest do you think this year is in 2023? How many Oktoberfests have there been? Okay, I actually, okay, I should know this. Um, I think what was it? 2018, I think was like 30 or something. So, oh, math is not my strong suit. 19, 20, 20, 22, 23, 35. You are just a bit outside there. This is the 188th Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest started in 1810. <laughs> it was actually a, uh, a prince during the Napoleonic Wars. I uh, wanted to celebrate his wedding and got uh, the people in Munich together and offered free food and beer just to bring the community together during the war. And that was the first ever um, Oktoberfest, 1810. Wow. Okay. So I was just a, just a touch, just a touch <laughs> out of the, uh, I did go to Oktoberfest in Munich in 2018, and it was fantastic. Um, it is much bigger than I thought it was going to be. It's literally like half amusement park, half like it's just insanity, but it's a lot of fun. And it's just a bunch of people getting together, singing, drinking, making fun of everybody. doesn't matter your background. Just don't stand on a table because that's apparently. So there's there's six official Oktoberfest beers in the world that are brewed by the six, six breweries in Munich. Anything else that's brewed in the United States or outside is considered an Oktoberfest style beer. It's not a, a traditional Oktoberfest. So do you know any of the breweries? Can you name any? I know Papa. Brow House is one. Um, Paul Pauliner, Paul Pauliner. that one's one yep. of them. Um, and there's one that starts with an S. The initials are S and W, I think. And Spotten. 
Spotten, that was the one. Um, because I what I called it the Spotzel, um, the Spotzel brewery, because I'm an adult and uh I like Spotzel and it looked like Spotzel. Um <laughs> and I think that's I think that's all I got. So you got you said Hofbra, you said Spotten, you said Pauliner. So then the other three are Augustiner, Hackershore, and Lowenbrow. Hackenshore, I should have gotten that one because I do really like their Oktoberfest. It is. It is choice. Very choice. Do you have any other fun facts for me? I love fun facts. I think that's all we got. Um, there is a great article if you guys want. I'm going to shamelessly plug our, our good friend Kenny Gold uh, with Hop Culture. He wrote a great article um, and he updates it each year on Oktoberfest and different beers that you could try throughout North America um, that he ranks and thinks that are great Oktoberfest style beers. So check it out. Also, if you are someone that doesn't like a good beer or you don't like um, the like hoppiness or the beer flavor, I highly recommend checking out a Rattler, which is also um, the other beer choice at Oktoberfest and is basically beer and lemonade. And it is very delicious. And I highly recommend doing it because um, that's it's, you know, if you're not a big fan of beer, it makes it much more palatable. All right. So that is almost it. But you guys aren't going to get out easy without having to answer at least one question this time. If you choose, you can also choose to plead the fifth on this one. Who makes your favorite Oktoberfest or Oktoberfest style beer? There, I've tried lots of Oktoberfest. And I also, I, there's lots of like pumpkin flavored beers, which I kind of consider somewhat in that Oktoberfest category. Although it's really the Oktoberfest, there's Marzins uh, and there's like Feist beers. But my hometown, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. I got to plug my hometown, Cleveland. Uh, Great Lakes Brewery makes an amazing Oktoberfest. I think they're like four-time North American champion for Oktoberfest beers, and I really enjoy that one. So, so mine's going to have to go back to where I lived for 16 years. Um, one of the, the coolest breweries and experiences you could possibly get, Denver, Colorado, uh, Beerstead Lager House there. Um, it is an amazing beer hall. Um, everything's larger than life, amazing beers, drinking them by the leaders. Um, and you know, what's even better is what is great when you're drinking beer, but cornhole, but then supersize it German style and legitimately you're throwing bean bags around into a six foot tall bean, like cornhole board. And drinking liters of great German beer. Like, there's nothing better than that. Um, the last time we were all there with a bunch of industry friends uh, was after a big giant conference that was out there. We took over the entire facility and uh, we just had a great blast and drinking beer and throwing corn. Okay, immediately adds all of those to my destination lists. And uh, maybe this weekend for my Oktoberfest facil- for, uh, festivities, I'm going to go find some of those, see if they're distributed here uh, where I live. Uh, Possibly, possibly not. If anyone wants to reach out to you guys outside of the show, maybe about your favorite Oktoberfest beer, or if they have any kind of uh, questions, where can they find you? Hit us up on uh, brewmovers.com or it's real easy. It's Adrian at brewmovers.com and Brandon at brewmovers.com. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on Freightwaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightwaves.com slash running on ice. See you on the internet.